welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. In episode 3.8, Organizational or Cultural Differences, we're really going to get into how this matters in learning. So preferences and communication styles definitely vary by the culture or the organization you're actually working and training with. So organization and cultural differences are big questions I want to ask are how does organization and cultural differences impact learning preferences and communication for training delivery? What are the cultural and organizational factors to consider for training? And you have to think about those norms when you're going to deliver. So cultural differences can impact the training and how the learner receives it and understands any information you convey. So around the globe, organizations and their employees think, work, act, learn, and lead in different ways. These vary based on national, ethnic, and corporate cultures. So I want to say, even though it's within the U.S., we have different organizations and how they operate and their norms and expectations are going to be different for learning and training. Two objectives in this episode we're going to talk about are discussing how language, speech, environmental, and psychological factors can be barriers to communication during training delivery and provide at least an example or two that might help you overcome each of these factors and barriers. The other objective is explain how culture may affect and require a modification in training. So barriers to communication is really important to think about. For intercultural communication, talent development professionals are recommended to know that there are differences when they provide training. So they have to think about if they didn't attend to this, what would happen to the learning? Cultural differences can often cause misunderstandings, conflict, and poor learner interactions, or even involvement of participants in your training sessions. Culture, as an individual's pattern, ways of thinking, feeling, and reacting, are really how are people going to interact with one another? What are some attributes and characteristics of teams, groups, and organizations you want to work with and train? I put a link to a great article from SHRM, that's Society for Human Resource Management. The article online I found is called Understanding and Developing Organizational Culture. I put a link to it, obviously, in the episode's notes that you should check out. And some aspects of organizational culture they talk about are human nature, so people that are proactive, reactive, inherently good, bad beliefs, uh, the organization's relationship to its environment. So how does it define its business um, and how does it interact with anyone and anything around in society? The appropriate emotions, so how people are encouraged to express or suppress these emotions and effectiveness and how the organization and its individual components are doing well. So how do they measure this and what's the value, desired cultural and norms? So some ways that we can look at it are thinking about language and speech. So even if you come into a place where you all speak the same language, there could be so many nuances, differences, and misunderstandings that occur. So we know this, English language is the most complicated language, so that's the one I'm speaking to in. But spoken English is not always easy, and there's so many different nuances to think about. So words like the word niche, that's how I've always said it. When it came to the US, people say niche. I don't know. It's just how we pronunciate, we enumerate, or we articulate words differently. You could travel even across all the 52 states, and there'll be different ways you say it, even within a single state. So you might not even hear the same word pronounced the same way, or there's also different uh, nuances and expressions that might come in with pace or linguistics or how the language is used. Other challenges come up from cross-translation and nuances errors between countries. So there might be an expression, a turn of phrase, a colloquialism, and that just makes it complicated. So language is a very nuanced area of understanding and learning. 
environment. This relates to the culture's existing technological level and physical environment. This might be based on the knowledge rather than the culturally intrinsic values. So some examples of this might be personal space. Uh, some folks hug and greet. So I think of my Italian relatives, my good friends from Mexico and Latin America in general, love to hug when they greet versus other people like more personal space. Uh, whether it's a country that might be from Germany, they may just want to handshake or say hello. Proximity is also the same thing when people talk and up close or impersonal, or they like to have a few feet. And technology. So countries use more technology, some use less based on their values. So uh, we like to live with our devices uh, connected or tethered to us all the time here in the Western part of the world, but that's not the case everywhere. Psychology is another aspect of learning we need to think about in this area is the way thoughts, ideas, are processed are very different from different points of view globally. And so here are four cultural ways to think about when we consider learning in different cultures. So first, there's a social organization, the way we organize ourselves in both individually and like to learn in groups. There's context and contexting, the way we communicate, the circumstances surrounding the communication. So literally what is said is the truth, or is it a more obtuse or indirect way of communicating and how we speak? So you might say an expression, so people say, let's be more subtle about how we talk versus a direct person talking. I think of my friends from the Netherlands, they're very forward and direct versus other people where I live now in the south of the US. Many folks in southern US like to be polite and they say might say an expression like, bless your heart, if they mean you're being an idiot, so they won't say it directly. Another example of psychology is authority. So if the person has the ability or inclination to act based on their own initiative is it's also culturally determined. So we have no problem, I know in North America, speaking up, answering a question, um, challenging an issue in a class. But a lot of people in other areas, so we have an Asian part of the world that uh, look up to teachers and they will not speak out and they'll um, not ask a question and question authority. Another is a concept of time. So a cultural concept of time is really important as we take place of learning. So some cultures think about time towards the past, present, and future. And they're not about a specific time on a clock, whereas others like US and Europe use time as a tool. And this can be critical if you're training a different culture and understanding of how time and what time is used for and valued. And also thinking about our perspective and cultural distances, the nonverbal behavior is really important. Do you know that 65% of messages meanings are conveyed through nonverbal behavior? It's true. This could be anything from eye contact to a simple laugh or giggle. Nonverbal behaviors include both your appearances, like the first impression, artifacts, maybe what you're wearing, physical traits and attributes, and body language, so posture and how we walk, talk, stand, sit, all things like that. So types of body languages to think about are the emblems. So it might be a sign like the peace sign or hello wave, or if you're pointing. Illustrations are those hand gestures with expressive talks. The affect displays. So when you emote and show your uh, anger, rage, happiness, joy. Uh, regulators are when you nod or shrug in agreements. Adapters are fidgeting and scratching and ticks. So personal things you do to deal with the situation around you. Patterns of eye contact include eye movements and their meaning. So if you're a cognitive person, you're going to start using, moving your eyes around associated with thinking and processing of new information. So you might look up or look to the left. Uh, monitoring is associated, your eyes are understanding. So it's, it's looking at someone if they're getting the meaning of what you're saying in a training, and you know that they're understanding that message. 
regulatory um, eye movement associated with responding to the communicator, what's being said, so you're understanding it, and expressive is associated with the emotional response of your eyes of the people around you. So what people are communicating, it's being understood. And so your eyes might shift up, they might, uh, when you have a true smile, your eyes smile with you, that sort of thing. I put a link to the Balance Careers. Um, they have a nonverbal communication at the workplace. And this article was interesting because they talk about um, the body language and eye contact, but they also talk about other ways you communicate nonverbal. So how you speak, uh, the physical distance of communication, and maybe even how you decorate your office and what you say, what you value, like what kind of pictures are um, sitting on your desk or something on your wall, um, really shows people more nonverbal cues about yourself. So it's a different way we communicate without saying anything at all. The proximate zones and differences between culture is another important fact to understand when you're learning and training. So this is a term coined by anthropologist Edward T. Hall in 1977. He defined the study of the cultural, behavioral, and sociological aspects of spatial distances between individuals. This might vary between country and culture. For example, the four types of distances between adults in the U.S. are intimate, you're about 18 inches between one another, personal, 18 inches to four feet, social, four to 12 feet, and public, more than 12 feet. This is going to be different if you're living and growing up and from a different cultural background or even country where space isn't a thing because there might not be any. So I think of really populated cultures that are just used to living and working and being closer physically to each other also determines their space with each other. Some people feel threatened when others are too close to them, but they also find people who are really far from them really standoffish and wonder why they're so distant. Fun fact, uh, friend coworkers tend to sit beside each other at a table. So if you're getting together for a lunch, whereas more uh, acquaintances or even an enemy at work, you want to sit directly opposite of them and they'll face one another. There'll be more about this as we talk about this in area of expertise, the foundational competency, global mindset. So stay tuned for that. And I put a link to an article uh, written by a Sherm. It's how to create an effective cross-cultural training program. I thought this was a good approach to talk about what's effective and how to work through some of these discomforts because we have more and more people working globally, tra uh, traveling, and also cross-national teams and multinational uh, global teams, right, that have to work through some of these awkward ways of how we work and understanding what's appropriate. Basic communication, um, this theory came about from scientists interested in electronic communication systems. Uh, you're very welcome. This is one area of mine that I like to study. It's also called communication theory. Maybe you've heard computer media communication, human information processing, things like that. So those are just, just a few of many disciplines that study how we communicate with one another. So listening is just one activity in a relational process, right? Speaking is the other. Together, they make a didactic or two-part system. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the common concepts and terms that talent development professionals and researchers use in this area. When we think about uh, listening, communication, and speaking, we want to think about the environment, uh, the conditions and circumstances which this is operating, a good one. Uh, can they hear each other? Uh, we want to think about the information. That something that reduces uncertainty is that message that's coming in clear. And the message is something that's communicated, like what's the thing coming through and the information being shared um, through that process. So what's the way it's being shared? Uh, source This is the center of the message. So it could be me. I could be the source like I am now telling you something. And the noise, if there's uh, anything that's disrupting that. So if it's not coming across, like you heard a dog bark in the background or some large truck drive by, you may not actually hear what I'm saying. So it might hinder the flow of information from the source to the receiver. 
hey, the receiver could be you. Uh, it's a person or device that gets a message in human communications and processes it through the filter of the mind. So uh, whatever it's sending to, whether it's on your phone or in your ears right now, uh, the feedback is the communication that gives people information about the effect of the behavior. So I'm not going to get into full communication theory because there's loads on, but if you want to read up on that, um, it's really interesting and you should understand how people are interacting, interplaying in this for training and learning. So now that we know a little bit about communication and how we process things, there are barriers to listening. Listening is a challenge. Sure, you can hear things, but are you actually listening and understanding to what's being communicated? The average person talks at about 140 words per minute, and a listener can understand about 280 to 560 words per minute. That being said, most of us can think three times faster than the person sending the message. So if you are a fast thinker, and you might often talk fast. So I've had that before with my own father. He talks a bit quicker than um, we can actually process. And we've, we've talked to him about that. Um, how people um, perceive things is really important. So 15% of spoken word is lost in a training situation where the speaker talks fast is rushed with delivery or speeds up because they're anxious to get the presentation over with or maybe even nervous. So the nerves speed up the communication about the message. Other communication problems may include a reluctancy to convey the message. They don't want to share everything. Maybe they haven't understood the message at all. Uh, is misinformed or is lying in that message or maybe they have difficulties in the speech itself. Uh, other challenges might be an accent different than the one that the listener has. So I often have to retune my ear when I go back home to visit uh, family in-laws in Ireland because they talk at a bigger, a faster clip and there's certain expressions and nuances that I have to retune my ear. So we have to think about the pace and the process as we go. Lack of vocabulary to explain the current matter. Uh, so maybe there's like a jargon or there's something the listener can't decode. And using nonverbal communication that doesn't support the words. So if you have actions, like if you're happy, but you look like you're crossed and your arms are crossed against your chest, it might be confusing for the listener who's trying to understand what message you are trying to portray. And failing to immediately state what the message may be of interest to the listener, saying, getting their attention, saying you need to know this, um, then the listener finds that to be a barrier. That being said, the listener issues may impact the actual process of listening more. So maybe the person you're trying to talk to is preoccupied and they don't shift their internal logs to the inside of their head. They're listening or thinking about uh, something else and they're not really paying attention to that external conversation or the message coming across. Maybe your listener is distracted by the uh, reactions to the speaker's appearance. So maybe there's something else that's throwing them off in the room where you're training. And that being said, listeners are often impatient and want to interrupt because they're busy or they think that message is a waste of time, or maybe they're just thinking about the response even before it's been fully communicated. And understanding to interpret the message is really important. So if they have any impairments in hearing or something's blocking the message, like being in a different room when you're trying to shout or communicate may not be the best way to deliver that message. The last section talks about preferences to formal versus informal approaches for learning. When it comes to training, there's formal learning settings. So we know that's for those who like to be learning with others, uh, who like to experiment and try new things in a lab setting to test out and implement practices before they actually put them into the workplace. 
For those who like formal learning, they also appreciate accurate, timely content, and they're learning things that their organization, their company, or their role really wants them to learn for their occupation. They believe that formal learning, um, they'll give them a better understanding and can actually take back what they're learning and training to the workplace. Getting more of a choice in formal learning is really important, and often those who appreciate formal learning trust that the trainer or facilitator know what they're talking about, and they're accurate, and they're correct, and they're experts in that area. So formal learning is really reinforced by having a discussion about the learning content. It's known what is there. Informal learning, in contrast, it looks like those kind of training experiences that you prefer not to always travel or leave the office for training. So they might call it just-in-time, on-the-job training or ways that they can flexibly work around a work schedule. So you want to be targeting informal learning for those who learn naturally. If people are self-taught or self-directed, they're going to be comfortable with asking for help. They're going to look for relevant training and they want to gain knowledge or skills at the time they actually need it. So those who have a really keen observation and the ability to apply learning in real time to the work will really be a, a fan of this informal learning experience. So knowing how to ask the right questions and also talk to the right people is really critical. For me personally, I like formal learning and I always have. I've gone through many degrees at this point, but informal learning actually sits to my own natural skill set. I'm really comfortable with asking folks for help and I always like to learn something when I'm going to apply it directly. So I lean towards informal, just as an aside. Where do you lean towards, formal or informal? Have you thought about it lately and how do you like to learn? For individual differences in learning preferences, there are many theories that distinguish or have set learning preferences and styles, but most of these have been debunked by now, right? So remember from episode 3.2, individual learning preferences, we talked a little bit about this saying there are different, uh, more modalities to learn. And some people actually prefer to mix uh, ways they learn and understand to fully understand. So they may not just want to read a book, but they might want to see something or hear something more about this topic. Here are some ways that offer individual choice and options for learning and preferences. So I'm not really concerned about learning preferences or learning styles. I'm considering about offering multimodal approaches to how we learn. So different ways can be from lecturing to seminar and workshop-based games and gamification activities. Some people like to read versus others like to talk. There's people who like to act as a leader or act as a follower in their group settings and their learning settings. Individuals, you're going to hit those who are into the analytic style versus the creative style. So they might like to have structure and focus and a process for doing things versus open-ended or free-range kind of learning. Then there's others who like to be trained and taught uh, computer applications, web-based, versus those who like to interact with others that want human interaction in their training styles. Some folks like to reflect versus others like to talk out loud and process ideas. So whether it's individual or out loud, you need to think about that when you're planning for your training. And then finally, some of us need some closure for the training. So those who like closure really want to have a wrap up, some key takeaway points to take away and bring back to the workplace where others have an understanding that the openness of learning and the ongoingness of the unknown is going to be present in what they've just learned. So those are some examples of personal preferences in terms of learning versus of informal and formal learning and individual learning preferences and style. So how do you like to learn these days and which ways are helping you the most? I think I'm a bit auditory because I am recording a podcast. I do love to read because I read a ton of books, but I do think there's other ways that I can take in ideas and process them out loud. So I like to also talk with others and get ideas and also just reflect on in my own writing. So 
Think about how you like to learn and how other preferences, both individual and organizational, might come into your training. I think the options and of how we train and learn and teach other professionals how to learn is changing. And so thinking about these both informal versus formal and preferences and modality styles is really critical because there's so many ways to learn, grow, and professionally train others that are around us. So think about that as you're planning for your own training and development or learning solution. Thanks for listening to the Learn Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, give me a like, and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.